Bhagavate Vasudevaya. July 31st, 2015, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 5, Text 15. This is from Vajuras Talks with Maitreya. Tadasya Koshtra Rava Sharmadatur. Hare Katameva Katashusharam. Hare Katameva Katashusharam. Shivayana Kirtaya Tirta Kirte. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. O Maitreya, O friend of the distressed, the glories of a Supreme Lord can alone do good for people all over the world. Therefore, just as bees collect honey from flowers, kindly describe the essence of all topics, the topics of the Lord. Purport. There are many topics for different persons in different modes of material nature, but the essential topics are those in relationship with the Supreme Lord. Unfortunately, materially affected conditioned souls are more or less averse to topics of the Supreme Lord because some of them do not believe in the existence of God and some of them believe only in the impersonal feature of the Lord. In both cases, there is nothing for them to say of God. Both the non-believers and the impersonalists deny the essence of all topics. Therefore, they engage in topics of relativity in various ways, either in sense gratification or in mental speculation. For the pure devotees like Vidura, the topics of both the mundaners and the mental speculators are useless in all respects. Thus, Vidura requested Maitreya to talk of the essence only, the talks of Krishna and nothing else. Kosharava Sharmadatur Hare Katam Eva Katashusharam Udritya Pushpeya Ivartabando Shivayana Kirtea Tirtikrite. O Maitreya, O friend of the distressed, the glories of the Supreme Lord can alone do good for people all over the world. Therefore, just as bees collect honey from flowers, kindly describe the essence of all topics, the topics of the Lord. So Vidura has been going on for a few verses here about what he wants to hear from Maitreya. He says, don't get distracted. Just give me the most important thing. Give me the essence. The essence of all topics, like honey. Right? If we think about with the con- concentrated food, just like the staple food for most people in the world is the seeds of the grain plant which has the concentrated essence of that plant. And uh, one could say that in the plants and the flowers, the nectar is the most concentrated. Then the bees take that and they make it even more concentrated. So you get the essence of the essence of the essence in the form of the honey. And just like that, to take the most important thing. Hmm. And just like if you want to have medicine, so Prabhupada used to run a pharmaceutical business and he would have things called show bottles. So in the window of your shop, you don't want to put your potent medicines because they stay there for a long time, they're out in the sun and so forth. 
So you put something that looks like medicine, but isn't actually medicine. You put a show bottle just for just for show. And in the show bottle, usually you just put some colored liquid. And nowadays, of course, a lot of what people eat is just like that. It's not real food. It's just some watered-down show bottle. You know, a, a respectable pharmacist, an honest pharmacist, doesn't sell the show bottles as medicine. They only sell real medicine as medicine. But a cheater, then they're going to sell a show bottle as medicine. Right? And because of the placebo effect, some people will get well anyway. <laughs> but in our modern age, uh, there's so much of this dilution. Right? There's dilution of food so that you eat something that looks kind of like food and, and tastes something like food, but there's no nutrition there. Right? They've removed the essence, <laughs> like white flour. Right? <laughs> they take out the germ of the, of the flour, the essence of the wheat, and they take out the outer covering, which is giving you fiber, and they give you just the, the starch portion without the essence. It's like Srila Prabhupada very much wanted fresh ground wheat. Jamuna talks about how Prabhupada knew how many days had passed since wheat was ground whenever he ate a japati, a puri, or something like that. And I notice here in Hawaii we have a wheat grinder, we grind all of our wheat fresh, and immediately my health improves when I'm here because we're keeping the essence and we're keeping it fresh. You get the wheat germ oil, the vitamin E, and so forth. Uh, even when you buy a commercial whole wheat flour, it's so old that the oil has gone rancid. And not only do you, you know, you're not, not getting the essence, but you're getting something that's spoiled. So the essence of something is what gives us health. Of course, nowadays, the doctors try to extract the essence of plants in a demoniac way. So they try to isolate the active principle in the various herbs and uh, so forth that Krishna has given. Krishna says he's the healing herb. And then they chemically copy this essence. They study it and then they chemically copy it. But they don't understand that the essence of a plant it often works holistically and synergistically with the other elements of the plant. So one cannot take the essence in some artificial chemical way, and we'll look at that in a moment. So here we're looking at the essence of all topics. What is the most concentrated form of all topics? What is something that's not watered down? And here it's described that that is topics about Hari, Harikata, Harahe Katam, Harikata. Usually Srila Prabhupada, uh, when he spoke about topics of the Lord, he would call them Krishna-kata rather than Harikata. Uh, here Vidra is using the term Harikata. Any topics about the Lord, which of course includes all the incarnations, all the devotees. So this is concentrated. We're talking about the essence is concentrated. But concentrated what? It's concentrated rasa. Rasovasa. The Lord is made of rasa. He's Akila Rasamrita Murti. The reason that we want to hear about anything is that we want to experience some rasa. Uh, it's very difficult to describe exactly what is rasa. There's no immediate English 
translation for what is rasa. It's, again, an essence. When you eat food, as it gets digested finer and finer and finer, it turns into rasa, which is a liquid. It exists just like our blood is liquid. Our lymph is liquid in our body. So it, it becomes a liquid that is just pure nutrition. And foods that are rasayana, they're foods that immediately become rasa. Uh, the holy name is also called uh, rasayana. One rasayana is locally grown tree-ripened fruit. I'm sure that's another reason I'm more healthy in Hawaii. Uh, you can just get fruit from the tree just grown down the street and it's ripened on the tree. Galitam palam, the Bhagavatam is compared to such a thing. So anyway, it's concentrated rasa, nourishment. And what is the kind of nourishment that we seek? We seek nourishment that is emotional and relational. If we think about the components of rasa, and this applies, of course, to mundane rasa also, uh, but right now we're talking about spiritual rasa, we'll talk about mundane rasa shortly. The components of rasa... So we have, first of all, what's called the staibhav. Stai is related to the English word to stay or stable, and that which is fixed. We have this in the word nishta and sta. So staibhav, your fixed relationship. So to experience some sort of rasa, uh, some sort of pleasure, then there has to be some relationship. And the basic relationships are five. There can be a relationship just of, of peace, of an observer. There's a relationship of service, a relationship of friendship, a relationship of, of helping and guiding like a parent or a teacher, and a romantic relationship. And then there can also be the basic relationship can also be mixed with or mostly uh, comedy, fear, disgust, anger, awe, uh, compassion or, or sadness or grief, and then chivalry, which is three subcategories, uh, sportsmanship, charity, and the sense of righteousness one gets from following dharma. So that is the, the fixed relationship. And then in that fixed relationship, there's anubhavs, there's things you do, in that relationship. And then there's the uh, sattvic above's is involuntary expressions like you laugh <laughs> or you cry. You don't uh, engineer those sort of things or you go, oh! you know, <laughs> involuntary. So anubhav is voluntary, sattvika involuntary. Then you have the vyavichari bhavs. So those are the, the waves of varieties of emotion that sometimes overwhelm the fixed emotion and sometimes just complement it. And then you have the causes of your emotion, which is the, the main object of your emotion, other, uh, other beings who share your emotion, and then the various things that stimulate your emotion. And all these things together combine and, com and uh, create what we call pleasure or rasa, the, the experience that we're living for, that's what we want, that, that is what we're meant. Just like Krishna is, is himself rasa, and we as part of him, that is also our nature. So to experience our real nature is what we are wanting to do.
But Krishna Kata is the concentrated form of all rasa. Anything that one can experience, uh, he is that in a concentrated form, and he's experiencing all these rasas and all their permutations and all their varieties simultaneously with an unlimited number of energies and living beings. And something that's concentrated is also very potent. And when you water down a medicine, it doesn't have much effect. So the the Krishna Kata has a very great effect. And we see this all the time. We see that when one has even a tiny bit of association with Krishna, the effect can be huge. Purvindasru Prabhu talks about that when he first started chanting Hare Krishna, without intending to, he lost interest in smoking. And then he said he stopped chanting because he thought, well, what is this chanting that it's doing this to me, that it's affecting my ability to enjoy the things that I was enjoying? So it's very potent. One piece of prasadam can guarantee that one gets a good human body. One little bit of hearing Krishna's name also. I mean, just love a matra, the one eleventh of a second association with a sadhu can give all city, can give all perfection. So it's very, very potent. Of course, we have drugs like that. You know, we have drugs where uh, one teeny tiny drop of the of the drug can kill somebody or can revive somebody or can make someone psychotic. You know, the, the LSD is one, one drop of LSD. It makes someone temporarily psychotic. So there's very, very potent. So Krishna Kata like that is very potent. And then it brings good fortune and welfare for the whole world. This is one of the main qualities of bhakti, that it's all auspicious. So it's not just concentrated rasa and, and very potent rasa, but it acts for one's good. And what is one's good? What is one's auspiciousness? That one comes to reality, that one comes to truth, that, that one is having something that's authentic, that's genuine, that's real, something that's not phony. When it's giving you rasa, it's giving you real rasa. It's giving you an actual experience. People ask all the time how they can tell the difference between super soul and their own mind and ego. And of course, the simplest question is that, the simplest answer to this question is that the instructions of super soul are in line with Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. In one sense, though, that removes the problem one step because one can also be, and generally is, to some extent, interpreting Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra through the mind and the ego, uh, still as a general principle, that's a very good answer. In addition to that answer, uh, one will say, Arajavijarajaguyam, Pavitram idam uttamam, Pratyaksha vagamam dharmam, Susukam kartamavyam. Pratyaksha, you're experiencing dharma. Pratyaksha vagamam dharmam. What is dharma? Dharma, again, is the essence of the reality of something. What is something's actual, essential nature? What is, its, what is it authentically? And so when you're in touch with Krishna, whether it's the super soul, whether it's the Bhagavatam, whether it's the holy name, anywhere you're in touch with Krishna, the experience is authentic, it's real. And we're able quite easily to tell when something is authentic. We often get fooled by the false and think the false is something real. But when we experience something real, we know it's real. You know, the 
I've started going to the farmer's market here mostly because there's a place where they sell uh, tree-ripened papayas from their own farm. And before having those, I thought, I've never really had a papaya. You know, the taste is very different. It's not only sweeter. It's not only that the sweetness is more concentrated, but the flavor is quite different. And you know, oh, I'm getting something that's authentic. One can always tell. You know, my father used to make fresh-squeezed orange juice for me every morning, and the flavor is quite different from some concentrated or not from concentrated whatever orange juice you buy in a bottle. They, they can't imitate it. What to speak of just some orange-flavored soda, you know, with some chemical taste. So therefore, it's what's actually auspicious because it's real, and our real state is full of auspiciousness. Our, our real state, we're, we're part of God, and anything that invokes our real state in reality is good. So therefore, it's good for the world. And it relieves distress. Right? A friend of the distress, Maitreya, is called here. So it relieves our distress. Our distress is all caused by what is false. I mean, even in ordinary life, when one discovers that one's relationships are false, is seems to me to be the main cause of our distress. It seems that there's very little that causes us more distress than to know that something is not what it appeared to be. I find it fascinating, for example, that being a traitor to one's country is such a serious crime all over the world. It's often punishable by death. Why? Why is it so important that you have to be loyal to the country where you're born? I mean, it's a basic gratitude, I suppose that your government's taking care of you and you should help them rather than help someone else. But treason has to do more with disloyalty. It has to do with being false. That you, I mean, if you just change your citizenship and you openly declare that you want to give up the citizenship in your country and become the citizen of another country, that's not treason. That's not a capital crime. What's a capital crime is when you pretend to be loyal and serving your own country, and actually you're working for your country's enemies, right? Or we have, why is it that infidelity in marriage is taken so seriously? Why do people get so upset about it? Again, because it's something that's, that's cheating. It's something that's not real, that your spouse says to you, you're my only one, I only love you, and then the reality is something different than that. And it's, it's just devastating to us when we think that someone is our friend and someone is our shelter or something, and it turns out that they're, they're not, or even it turns out that they're harmful. So we get relieved of this distress because <laughs> Maya Devi altogether looks like that. Maya Devi looks like a shelter, she looks like a friend, and she's not. She's not at all. She's not a shelter and, and a friend. Of course, she could be a shelter and a friend if you're a pure devotee, <laughs> but otherwise not. It's just like more and more cases are coming out in America of police officers who are beating or abusing or killing citizens for at little or no provocation. And people are so alarmed because, again, the police officer is supposed to be a shelter. And he becomes, the police officer becomes the criminal. 
So we get relieved of this distress of seeing Maya as a, as a shelter and being disappointed over and over and over, being cheated. Right? We get relieved of that distress because we come to the reality. And then Tirta, it's interesting that Srila Prabhupada doesn't put the word Tirta in the uh, translation or talk about it in the purport, but it is, it's there in the Sanskrit described the glorious uh, Tirta. And Prabhupada's translating this in the word for word as pilgrimage. Uh, Tirta also means the holy place itself. So Tirta is to go to the holy place or the holy place itself. And the, the literal meaning of Tirta is a bridge or a ford, some place where you can cross over a river or you can cross through mountains and go from one place to another. So the topics of the Supreme Lord act as a Tirta. They bring us to the Lord. This is one reason for going to holy places or creating a holy place in your own home. When you create a holy place in your own home, then it acts as a bridge or a connector between material consciousness and the spiritual world. There's, of course, our literature is full of stories like this of people who find some place to cross into another world. I mean, nowadays that's taken all of science fiction or fantasy. But the Bhagavatam describes that there are connectors, ways of subtly going from one planet to another, or one sphere to another, one realm to another, and through some sort of tirta. Prabhupada talks about how the yogis will dip into the Ganga, and then they can come up in any part of the universe where the Ganga flows. They're using the Ganga as this tirta, as this connector, as this bridge. So Harikata also acts as this connector, that as soon as we're absorbed in Harikata, then we can be with Hari, we can be in the spiritual world, although we, we appear to be standing or sitting, walking in the ordinary world. So in this way, Harikata is the essence it's concentrated, it's potent, it gives us good fortune, it relieves our distress, and it is a tirta. However, Srila Prabhupada's talk in the purport is mostly of the negative, that although all these wonderful things are there about Krishna Kata, people are not interested. They're just not interested. And we have to say that even for those of us who take up devotional service. It's hard to be interested sometimes. Sometimes even among devotees, we're simply talking about other topics we're, that we don't even relate to Krishna. We become distracted by the show bottle. We become distracted by looking for rasa elsewhere. And this is very unfortunate. Prabhupada's referring in this purport to karma and jnana. Mm-hmm. non-believers and impersonalists. So the non-believers are those engaged in vikarma, particularly, and the lower realms of karma. So that would be the mode of ignorance and particularly the lower mode of passion. And then the impersonalists are those in the mode of goodness and the higher aspects of passion. And Prabhupada refers to it again here, sense gratification or mental speculation. So those in ignorance and passion are particularly engaged in sense gratification and those in goodness are particularly engaged in mental speculation. 
Prabhupada starts off the purport. We're talking about many topics for different persons in different modes of material nature. But all of these people tend to deny the personality of Godhead. And we see this very practically, especially, especially in our modern world where most of the governments are secular either explicitly or de facto. So even a lot of the so-called religious governments, like in the UK, officially the Church of England is part of the government. And it's required in all the government-funded schools that there's a time of collective worship every morning. But in reality, that collective worship has stopped being about a personal God, and it started being just about values and principles and things like that. So there's basically God has become absent. You know, certainly in the mode of ignorance, either people hate God or they don't believe in God, they don't have any faith, or their, their faith is almost irrelevant. And in the mode of ignorance, they're just trying to, they're just interested in topics of clever sense gratifiers. You know, even the heroes will sometimes be criminals. When I was young, I remember it was a big scandal when there was this movie, Bonnie and Clyde, where the heroes were thieves and murderers. So this is very common. You know, there's books and movies and stories where the heroes are anti-heroes. So this is for people in the mode of ignorance. How clever this person is to defy the laws of God and get away with it. Or just seeing somebody's cleverness and ability without relationship to God how somebody is is circumventing the laws. So this is the kind of kata that people in the mode of ignorance are interested in. Uh, People who get things easy and cheap, you know, someone who just gets rich by winning the lottery or something like that. And and this, there's no auspiciousness in such things. The rasa that one enjoys in the mode of ignorance. Krishna says in the Gita that there's no happiness. He says it's simply suffering from beginning to end. There's no actual rasa at all. Why? Because in the mode of ignorance, it's pretty much 100% false. Prabhupada talks about the mode of ignorance as being a very peculiar situation for the conditioned soul, where it's just the opposite of our real nature. Instead of loving and giving and, and truth, it's all about envy and, and taking and, and cheating. And as we said, our, all of our distress comes from things that are false. But in the mode of ignorance, a person is trying to get happiness by being false and by being cheating. So there's not really any happiness at all. I mean, there's some illusion of rasa, or nobody would be interested in it, of course. Uh, but it's, there's hardly even any bodily sense pleasure in the mode of ignorance because it's not legitimately earned and... And just like when, when thieves take money, it's very difficult for them to even enjoy that money. You know, when you've earned money honestly, there's some sense of enjoyment. There's some sense that this is honestly earned wealth. And you, you can get some sort of mundane satisfaction from spending that wealth and enjoying what you've spent the wealth on. You know, I worked hard for this vacation in Disneyland, but somebody in the mode of ignorance, because they're stealing because they're taking things they haven't earned. They don't even enjoy it. They don't even get any kind of material sense pleasure out of it. It's quite interesting. The very peculiar mode of ignorance. 
uh, no, no relation to God at all. So it's not just watered down, it's, it's practically just water. I mean, there's, like Prabhupada said, the alcoholic, they can think how Krishna is the taste of their alcohol, but to understand Krishna and the taste of your alcohol as, say, in opposition to Krishna, the taste of pure water, or Krishna's the taste of mango juice, you know, how much taste is there in alcohol? So this is the situation of one in the mode of ignorance. Then in the mode of passion, people in the higher modes of passion believe in God. They have some adushrada, but they don't generally act on that belief in terms of hearing about God. What they're more interested in hearing about is how believers in God have achieved great things in the world and how religion is going to facilitate them to be an enjoyer and a conqueror of the world. That if I'm a religious person, I'll get money and I'll get fame and I'll get health and I'll get power and, and all this kind of thing. So although there may be some adushradha, those in the mode of passion, they don't go up to sadhusanga. They don't take any action. And therefore, there's no purification. Vishnu Chagavati Thakur talks about actual purification happening at Bhajana Kriya. So it, for topics in the mode of passion, this is mostly about people who are dharmic and who are, um, who are heroic and who care for their families and who give in charity and serve their country and do great things for the world and discover some new medicine and go to other planets and fight their enemies and conquer their kingdoms and, and this kind of thing, uh, good against evil and... Uh, and there is because such people in the mode of passion are doing legitimate uh, shastric yagya. Of course, there's not very many people like that on the earth today. But because they're doing legitimate yagya, they get some sense pleasure of the body and mind. The problem is, of course, that sense pleasure of the body and mind is not rasa for the soul. And therefore, it's still false. However, you could say that people in the mode of passion, they have some mixed happiness and distress, unlike those in the mode of ignorance that have only distress. So if you want to be in human consciousness as an enjoyer, the mode of passion is for one, but it's, it's very unsatisfying. In the beginning, it looks like it's going to be a lot of pleasure, and one is getting some sense pleasure in the beginning, but that pleasure becomes stale. It becomes old, and it becomes even... Uh, disgusting, and it never is deep. It's never authentic. It's never you're never touching the essence. Hmm. And then there's the mode of goodness. In the mode of goodness, then one not only has faith in God, but one is really trying to connect with God, but unfortunately in an impersonal way. And what and the person in the mode of goodness is still trying to have himself at the, as the center, and therefore they cannot take taste rasa either. I mean, part of rasa is vibhav, what stimulates one's relationship and one's love. And one has to have the vishaya, Krishna, and the ashraya. And, and one has to have these stimulus for love and relationship and astaibhav. And the, the best that those in the mode of goodness can come up with is shantaras and adbhuta. Ras, they really can't go much beyond that. And that's not really satisfying the soul. So those in the mode of goodness can touch something real, but it's not concentrated realness. You know, they're, 
they're getting, they, if they're at the higher levels of sattva gun, they are getting something authentic, but not being concentrated in Akila Rasamrita Murti, in the form of Krishna, their happiness has a limit. The happiness, Anandam Bhudivardhanam, the happiness of those in touch with the form of the Lord is unlimited, but the happiness of those in touch with the Brahma Jyoti is limited. It's, it's just like we have a little grandchild here who can't talk yet. He makes sounds and he points at things, but he doesn't say practically any intelligible words. So his ability to communicate and have relationships is very limited. Whereas once a person can talk, it, what one can communicate becomes, practically speaking, unlimited. So when there's no uh, form to something, when sound doesn't have a form, what can be communicated is very limited. And those who are meditating on the impersonal form of the Lord, their rasa is limited also. There's only a few kinds and degrees of rasa that they can that they're able to taste. And in especially in the modes of passion and ignorance, they're not really take, tasting rasa at all. The material rasas are something like we talked about in the beginning, how the scientists, the medical doctors, they look at some plant that's curing people, and they say, well, let's, ex- let's extract the essence of this plant, let's study it, and then let's copy it chemically. You know, it's much cheaper, much simpler for us. We can mass produce it. So, you know, instead of using willow tree bark, we'll produce aspirin. But the problem with producing medicines that way, as we mentioned earlier, is that you lose the synergy. You, You no longer have everything working together. And this is certainly one reason why so many medicines have so many terrible side effects. So the other day a doctor prescribed a medicine for me. I had some problem with my lungs and a cough and she prescribed medicine for me which had uh, this can cure your cough but the side effect is it can give you a cough. It can cure your breathing problems and the side effect is it can create breathing problems. So I said no thank you for this medicine. So of course natural medicines may also have some side effects but the modern medicines seem to have much more so. And one of the reasons for this is that they're trying to isolate and synthesize the active portion of the medicine. And this is a similar problem with those who are trying to enjoy rasa through talks and stories in the modes of, of passion and ignorance or even in the mode of goodness. They're really trying to artificially synthesize rasa And instead of talking about God, they're talking about Superman or Batman or something like that. They they make up some personality, or even they're talking about some historical person. But still, they're just talking about that person's bodily and mental activities. They're not talking about that person's real activities. They don't even have a sense of the real activities. So it's all synthesized. It's, it's It's all fake. It's all phony. So we need to give ourselves a taste of the real, the real essence of all topics. And we may have some attraction still to the false. (laughs) Why do we still have some attraction to the false? Because in the false I don't have to surrender. Of course I don't get the real thing, but I don't have to surrender. 
So some of us would prefer to have the false thing and be able to hold on to our false ego too. I mean, when I have the false thing, then I can still think that I'm great and I'm wonderful, uh, independent of Krishna. And when I have the real rasa, then I understand that my greatness and wonderfulness is really that I'm part of Krishna, and it's really that Krishna is great and wonderful. I have no greatness and wonderfulness independently. A spark in the fire is beautiful, and a spark out of the fire is useless. So it may be some time that we hold on, even while we're you know, hearing Krishna Kata, we may go and, and get the tree-ripened, locally grown fruit, and then maybe we go and buy some, you know, artificially flavored, artificially colored candy a minute later. (coughs) This is our foolishness and our idiocy. But if we keep taking this Krishna Kata, this Hari Kata, if we keep taking it over and over again, uh, Srila Prabhupada, all of our acharyas, they asked us, Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya, to always hear this Harikata. Nityam means always. And of course, for the, those in Vaidhi Sadhana and Bhakti, it's nice to explain in Ras and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. It means at least regularly. Now we make some regular time for hearing this Harikata and to hear with rapt attention. To hear with rapt attention. If we hear in an unsteady way, then the bhakti we get is unsteady also. And the rasa we taste is also unsteady. So we want to absorb ourselves. We're getting the most potent, powerful essence of everything here. And even if we still maintain some attraction to kata in the modes of passion and goodness and ignorance and etc., uh, still... Go on hearing Harikata, go on hearing, go on hearing in some systematic, regular way. And pretty soon this very potent, very concentrated medicine will give us all good fortune and good welfare, relieve our distress and act as a tirta to the spiritual world. And we are very, very, very fortunate in Kali Yuga that the very things in Kali Yuga which are destroying relationships can act as a relationship enhancer for our Krishna consciousness. Just like we're having this class over the internet, and at the beginning one person said, oh, you're clear in New Mexico, and I thought how interesting that is. I'm I'm thousands of miles physically from New Mexico. And of course we all have some little device that fits in our pocket and on which we can hear Srila Prabhupada on most days, I listen to Prabhupada's lectures in the morning. And we can just, as if Prabhupada is there, when I first met Srila Prabhupada, the very, very first time I met Srila Prabhupada, he was giving a lecture on the Bhagavatam. And I experienced that there was no difference in hearing him face to face and hearing a recording. So we can be hearing Harikata from Srila Prabhupada anywhere, even though Prabhupada is not physically present on the planet anymore, uh, we can hear him, as Prabhupada would say, through his separated energy, easily, easily. I mean, when I was a child, a tape recorder was humongous. You know, it was as big as like a desktop computer or a microwave. 
and now it's something that you can just have in your pocket and carry with you wherever you go and you can always be hearing Prabhupada speaking and so many devotees have recorded the Shastra you can listen to the audio books of the Shastra they're more and more being made available and starting to be made available in various languages so it's very easy to hear Harikita and one can hear of course it's interesting also that the Sanskrit here says Kirtaya which Prabhupada translates as kindly described but uh, kirtan means literally to sing so when we are hearing or speaking harikata it is like it's music it's so again it's full of rasa it's so sweet and, and musical just like in the spiritual world even ordinary speech sounds like singing what to speak of how singing sounds uh, when lalita sings the jeweled platforms around the trees melt and reform when and when Krishna sings or plays his flute, everything reverses its natural order. So this Harikata is so sweet that even the sound of it, aside from the content and the meaning of it, but even the sound of it is so beautiful that it transports us, Tirta, again, to another realm. So we need to make this a regular part of our life to hear Harikata in a deep, systematic way with, with meditation, with concentration, whether it's reading the books, whether it's hearing the books, hearing kata, speaking kata. And again, it's so easy. I mean, nobody has an excuse, I suppose, if, unless you're both blind and deaf, and then you'd have to go to some sort of braille. But what is anyone's excuse that we cannot regularly hear Harikata? We can even have all the books to read them on our little devices and carry them around with us. And wherever I go, you know, I can take my phone out of my my pocket or my bag and oh, let me just see what what is what is Krishna doing? What is Krishna doing? So this is this is available to anyone. And then we're not in the material world anymore. And as we absorb ourselves in Harikata, our taste for ordinary kata becomes less and less and less. So thank you very much. If there's any questions or comments. What seems to go very well with 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 Harikata um, hearing is also chanting. And we all we often hear that so often together. Hearing and chanting, hearing and chanting. I'm thinking of that because Several weeks ago, we were having a program in our place, and a God sister, Prabhupada disciple, came up to me after a talk. I was telling some story from Krishna book as, as part of the talk. She said, "You know, I love I love reading Krishna book, but she said I want to confess something to you." I said, "Well, what is that?" She said, "I don't believe any of it because I love reading Krishna book, but I don't believe." that God does these things with a little boy that plays in the forest, etc. But she loves reading it. So I asked her, How, how's your chanting going? And she doesn't chant at all. So, anyway, the, the, the realization I got from that is to really take hearing to, to the highest level to really transport us onto that transcendental spiritual realm. It's 
it just goes so well with hearing and chanting. They're, they work, use the word, Manaji, during the class a lot, synergism. We were talking about chemicals and so on in medicine. You see, there's a real synergism between hearing and chanting, Shravan and Kirtanam. I really like that point. In fact, we could make the point that just like the essence of some plant is working in synergy with all the elements of the plant, so in the same way, hearing Harikata works within a whole life of bhakti and is much more likely to be effective within a whole life of bhakti. Otherwise, one can be trying to light a fire while one's pouring water on it. So, therefore, we advise as far as possible that one have a whole life that's saturated with bhakti. Then everything is much more effective. I mean, Prabhupada said, though, any one of the nine processes can be effective. So it is possible to attain to pure devotional service just by any of the nine processes. Any of the 64 angas of bhakti have a great potency. At the same time, we say, Hari Nama, Hari Nama, Hari Nama, Eva Kevalam, Kaloa, Nasteva, 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 Gatiramita. That the essence of bhakti and the Kali Yuga is the chanting. So without the, the chanting, it's very difficult. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anybody else? Can you tell me some realizations of the potency of the chanting? I know the chanting is most important. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, when you're chanting, you're chanting Krishna's name. And in one sense you could say that all about Krishna are all absolute. Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes. At the same time, it's described that of all those sorts of, of chanting, that the most concentrated is the name because everything is there. I mean, even materially speaking, that is true. If you just say someone's name, immediately their form, their qualities, and their activities are included in that. Right? If you just say, oh, I, I went to see my mother today, and immediately as soon as you say my mother, you think about her form, her qualities, and her activities. It's, and one can say that's true for anything, but anything related to Krishna. That you think about his pastimes, you think about his name and form. But particularly the name is all-inclusive. And it's very intimate. I can think about Krishna's form and qualities and pastimes as an observer, like the demigods do. Uh, but when I'm meditating on Krishna's name, especially in our Hare Krishna mantra, which is in the vocative, I'm very much talking to Krishna. Now, of course, as I talk to Krishna, I should immediately, as Prabhupada say, feel that Krishna is present and Krishna's qualities and form and pastimes should start manifesting in my consciousness. I shouldn't just be hearing the name without those things also manifesting. But I'm very much talking to Krishna. It's, it's very personal. I think of it as, as being, you know, materially speaking, being physically in a room with someone and talking to them. Also, when we're chanting, especially in, in, our, in the kirtan and in our, in our daily japa, the ideas that we're giving Krishna are full attention. That we're not, we're not doing anything else, even other things for Krishna. 
And I've given this example many times that in an ordinary relationship, you may do many things for a person, but that's a little different than being with them. And no matter how many things somebody may do for me, I may just want to be with them. And we don't even have to be doing anything in particular, but just to be with them, that they are very important. That's one of the aspects of love, is that you value the other person as the other person. You know, you have all these times when just the gopis and Krishna, they're just looking at each other. You know, they're just standing there staring at each other and with each other. At times when the cowherd boy Krishna is resting and just resting on the lap of a cowherd boy, etc. Mother Yasoda is just holding Krishna. So just to be with Krishna. And also Krishna in the form of his name for his own reasons, who can say, is very is especially merciful. Bhaktivinoda Thakur describes that the deity form doesn't accept offenses in the same way that the holy name does. And the holy name can be available anywhere. When you want to worship the deity, you have to take bath, you have to put on clean clothes, you have to follow certain rituals. Even chanting those mantras, like Gayatri mantras, is supposed to be chanted at a certain time of day, in a, in a clean state, and so forth. But the holy name doesn't... There's no rules like that. You can chant the holy name in the toilet room. I and mean, Gorkishore Das Babaji chanted next to a, a toilet. You can chant the holy name in a, a prison. You can chant the holy name on your deathbed. You can chant the holy name anywhere, anytime. You know, when you're driving your car, on the train, wherever you are, the holy name is a form that, of the Lord that can be present there for anyone. So very, very powerful. And Haridas Thakur said, by hearing the holy name, even the plants and the trees and the insects get benefit. So it's very, very powerful. Is that all right? That's great. Thank you so much. Mother Emil, I think a harsh group or somebody had a question. Okay, go ahead. Hare Krishna Mataji, uh, I've been hearing the last three classes and I think there are different things but one thing which was common in all of them was um, talking talking about the modes. Uh, that's because so that's what's in the purports. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. so I was just curious that uh, what's the difference between purification and transcendence because Prabhupada said without getting rid of base qualities we cannot progress. But however, sometimes I do have understood that uh, bhakti is not related to the modes we are. So can you just help me understand how it is related or not related or what's the way it is? Okay, I'm, I'm trying to understand your question. As, as we've talked about before, it's not, it's not necessary to move up through the modes in order to attain transcendence. In other words, you don't have to go from ignorance to passion to goodness and then to transcendence. There is a process like that, and the whole idea of karma and karma yoga is meant to do that. You take birth as a sudra, then you take birth as a vaisha, then you take birth as a ksatriya, then you take birth as a brahmana, then you go to the higher planets, you take birth as a demigod, and you take birth as a prajapati, and you take birth as one of the uh, rishis in the universe, then you go to Lord Brahma's planet, and then you go to the spiritual world. So that is mentioned in the Bhagavatam as a process of gradually going up through the modes of nature, and coming to, to transcendence. Uh, 
But it's not necessary because bhakti is already there in the hearts of all living entities. So we have stories of persons who went directly from ignorance to transcendence. Magrari the hunter, uh, Valmiki, the prostitute who tried to tempt Haridas Thakur, Jaghai and Madhai. So we have examples, of, of, or also Gajendra the elephant. So we have examples of entities who went directly from Tamagun to transcendence very quickly. And they, they didn't go through the modes of material nature. So it's not necessary. However, it's certainly very helpful if one is trying to practice bhakti yoga to have a lifestyle that is similar to that in the mode of goodness. And if you have a lifestyle that is similar to that in the modes of passion and ignorance, it will make progressing in bhakti very difficult. And you notice the people who went from ignorance to bhakti immediately, they did get rid of their external activities that were in passion and ignorance. Like Magrari the hunter, you know, he started living in a little hut by the Ganges and so forth. And so he lived a life that was very much in the mode of goodness. As far as purification, the modes cannot purify us because they're unstable. And there's so many stories, even in the Bhagavatam, of entities even on the higher planets who are very much in Sattvagun, but who sometimes get overwhelmed by Rajagun or even Tamagun. We, we have Indra. I mean, Indra is a very elevated person. He's the chief of the administrative demigods. He's the devotee of the Lord. He's far, far more advanced in the mode of goodness than almost anybody on the earth planet at the present time. But still he became so overwhelmed by the modes of passion and ignorance that he tried to kill everybody in Vrindavan. So so-called purification through the modes of nature is simply decreasing one's attachment, fear, and anger. And as Prabhupada says, one greatness is to be understood by one's ability to tolerate provoking situations. So one becomes more and more genuinely tolerant as one moves up through the modes, not repression or suppression, but one becomes genuinely more and more detached. Fewer and fewer things give one distress or botheration. One it requires more and more and more provocation to become angry or disturbed and so forth. One is not very affected by the material world. But it's not absolute. We find even in the higher realms of the mode of, of goodness, just like Brigamuni tested Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu. And we found that even personalities like Brahma and Shiva, they were still liable to become disturbed by some little uh, insult. So that's not full purification. Therefore, we say that Manoratena, uh, they're on the chariot of the mind, and in one sense, they don't have good qualities. They're, the real qualities of somebody in the modes of nature is still ahankara. It's still, I am the center, and I want to preserve my sense of being in the center. And they'll still, you'll still react badly if your sense of being the most important person in the center who's entitled to so many things becomes threatened. Whereas in transcendence, one has no false concept of being in the center. One has no false concept of being able to be harmed by anything. One has no fear. And all of one's good qualities, therefore, are one's innate good qualities and are totally stable. So I hope I answered your question. I really answered it 
I really answered two different questions because I wasn't sure which one. Yeah, very much. Yeah. I wasn't sure which of two possible questions you were asking or some combination of those. We could take one more question okay. for someone. Uh, Haribol Urmila Devi, this is Mahesh from Kona. Oh, hi, Krishna. Haribol. So, um, just one more thing. Um, you were mentioning how there are devotees that went from Tamakun to transcendence in one lifetime. But I think that all of those cases that you mentioned, there was a divine intervention from a teacher or guru who gave them the mercy in order to go from Tamagun to transcendence. I don't think, uh, do living entities or spirit souls can just go from Tamagun to, to transcendence without any mercy or help from a guru or teacher? No, well nobody can go to transcendence either slowly or quickly without help from a teacher, without help from a devotee. Going to transcendence always requires the help of a devotee. I mean, perhaps there's some exceptions where Krishna takes the form of guru, but generally speaking, one needs the help of a devotee. And we were talking in the beginning about the elements of rasa, so the ashraya is the devotee. And at least if one wants to enter the realms of Vrindavan, one has to have the, the practice to enter the realms of Vrindavan. The Raghunuga Sadhana involves meditating not only on Krishna but on the devotee. So also it's explained in Madhurya Kadambini that because Krishna is neutral, uh, he's not going to give bhakti to anybody. He's just staying neutral and letting people do their karma. And it's the devotees who want Krishna to give bhakti to living entities and then Krishna's desire follows the desire of the devotees. So in any case, whether one goes from Tamagun to transcendence very quickly, whether one goes from Rajagun to transcendence very quickly, whether one goes from Sattvagun to transcendence, whether one goes from Tamagun to Rajagun to Sattvagun to transcendence, to enter into transcendence one needs to have some association of devotees. That's essential. It's an essential part of, of rasa, it's an essential part of what bhakti means. Now how one gets not it's not though generally generally, with some exceptions. It's not generally like somebody touching you with a magic wand. And even if that's the case, we have some instances where say Lord Chaitanya or Krishna or the devotees, they just touch someone or they just look at someone. Rupa Goswami mentions this, and immediately the person experiences prema. But even in such cases, the person himself has to take it. They have to take it. And the other day there was a sun shower right at sunrise, just at sunrise, it was raining. And, you know, I called some people out of the house. Come outside, come outside. Look, there's this double rainbow that was just absolutely brilliant. It looked like shining jewels of color. It was a a full double rainbow of brilliant color. And I called a number of people to come see it. Some people came to see it, and some people didn't. So no matter what mercy is given, there's still some 
action on our part. There's this sort of dance between effort and mercy. Okay, thank you very much, Shiva Prabhupada. Ki Jai. Hello. Hello.